Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Tuesday's top story. I'm going to get you up to speed on all that's going on on Tuesday. All right, let's go. SBF time. You guys ready? SBF appearing in court today, 2 p.m. Eastern. Wall Street Journal reporting that he's expected to submit a not guilty plea. And also his lawyers are asking the court to conceal the identities of those folks who signed his big old $250 million bail bond. Crazy stuff out of the SBF trial. I'm sure we'll see more and more of this in the coming weeks. Welcome back, Wendy. I think I heard a sigh out of you. That's awesome. Your thoughts? Happy New Year. <laughs> Sending everybody who is listening and watching love, light, and abundance because we all need a little bit of abundance, especially when we hear stuff like this. Obviously, Sam is going to enter a not guilty or he's going to state that he's not guilty because everybody says that they're not guilty. Why? Of course, why would he say he's guilty? Even though we have these beautiful things called blockchain analytics that show exactly what happened. But anyways, 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 I digress. Um, as far as these two people's names being um, redacted, I think that they definitely should be public. We should know who is on his side, who is on his team. At the end of the day, all of the FTX creditors' names are going to be posted publicly because of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So we should be playing fair here. It's just very upsetting to see, to hear, and hopefully the courts do their job properly. But I do not have very much faith in them at all. Will... Yeah, I'll pick up where you just dropped off right there. And I think it would be nice to know who these people are. But at the same time, there is a lot of threats against these people's physical safety. And whoever is involved in co-signing the bail here, they did not commit the fraud that SBF did and FTX did. So I think they do have some, maybe like an argument towards uh, an anonymity. We don't quite know that yet. So we'll see what the judge rules. But according to SBF's lawyers who submitted this application for their names not to be unsealed, they said, We have received a steady stream of threatening correspondence, including communications expressing a desire that they suffer physical harm. Consequently, there is a serious concern, a cause for concern that the two additional sureties would face similar intrusions on their privacy as well as threats and harassment if their names appear unredacted on the bonds of their identities 
are otherwise publicly disclosed. And I think that's a pretty fair argument, like physical safety at some point does become more important than necessarily just knowing whose name this is. On the other side, Wendy, I do see see your point, right? In chapter 11 bankruptcy, a lot of these creditors and people who are just not whole, they're going to have their names leaked. So why can't people who are an SBF's team have their names out in the open as well? Zach, I'll boot it over to you for your take. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And I think people want to know who's in his corner to this large degree. It's a kind of a mystery here in the case, right? Say 250 million, you got to put up 10, 15%. That's still 25 million bucks. And we talked about this last week or whenever we were last on, you know, the value of his parents' home is said to be something like 4 million, right? So there's sort of 20 million that someone, two people, still unknown, have staked here on behalf of Sam Bankman-Fried. And it, it, it is something that people genuinely want to know. And it is going to be a mystery potentially if these do get sealed. But I don't know. I'll toss it to Wendy. I saw her itching to go in. Again, I just think that if we're playing fair, of, if we're operating on a level playing field, that we do need to know these names. Yes, these people do have a large amount of capital, but what about all the creditors that have large and small amounts of capital? Their names or private information is going to be there. I'm just really sick of seeing the elites and seeing people with power, influence, and money, you know, essentially win these types of things when a lot of other people are hurt in the process. Let's face it, he scammed a lot of people. He lied about a lot of things, allegedly. It's just really not fair to retail for them to keep getting drugged through all of this time and time again, especially when our regulators have done essentially nothing to protect retail over this time. So I'm sorry, guys, I got to stick with my stick by my guns here. And if it's good for one, it's good for all. I will say that we don't quite know what's happening with the chapter 11 names yet. In, in the Celsius network, chapter 11, we did see that a lot of names were unsealed and that was just known to everybody. And that was really unfortunate. So I won't even spun up a website that allowed you to quickly go through and see if someone was involved with Celsius Network. And hopefully that does not happen with FTX. So far, I think they're trying to keep those names sealed uh, and to respect people's privacy. It's a very big part of crypto is having that, that privacy ethos contained. But we don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, Wendy, I, I sort of agree with you. But on the other side, I do like kind of err on side of like physical safety here. And I guess it comes down to what the precedent is for the courts, right? If there was a precedent beforehand that the people who are putting this money on the line were able to keep their names sealed and they probably should have their name sealed. But if they went in and signed a check and were willing to uh, put their name next to SPFs and they are okay with their name being out there in the public, then that should be what happens. But we'll have to wait and see. Wendy, I'll boot it over to you though. Or Zach, actually, give it over to you. Yeah, Zach, then me. I was going to say, just 2 p.m. Eastern, going to be a lot of eyes on that courtroom here in the Southern District of New York. It'd be interesting to see if that not guilty plea as reported ultimately does get submitted or if some deal has been struck in which the best course of action would be to plead guilty. I don't know. We think that not guilty is probably what's going to be submitted, but you can bet there's going to be a lot of information coming out of that courthouse at 2 p.m. today. Wednesday's top story. Let's do this thing. Wendy, I think you have the first story of the day. I toss it to you. Okay, I had to do the cringy YouTuber face. So <laughs> if you guys are listening to this podcast, make sure to watch the actual video. You had to see the face. So Sam Bankman-Fried pleads not guilty to fraud and conspiracy charges. He doesn't have to go back to court, I believe, until October 2nd of 2023. So basically, he is free for approximately 10 months to do whatever it is he's going to do. So just because he pled not guilty doesn't mean he is, in fact, Actually, not guilty. Most people plead not guilty, anyways. Not a legal finance or not a legal expert or anything like that. But that's just what I've seen in the TV 
and stuff like that. But again, we're talking back about the names that were going to be remain secret for now from the other two people that posted Bond as well. That's important to note. But since Jen's back and I miss her, I really, really, really would like to get your take on this story. I missed you too, Wendy. One day away from you guys. And I just like had to come running back. Love you guys. Well, I think it's not surprising, right? Sam Bankman fried went on this PR tour. He kept saying, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. For him to plead guilty, I think would have been a surprise. What I'm interested to see in October is, you know, we have the new CEO of FTX, John J. Ray III. We have Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang who have taken plea deals. These people probably have a lot of evidence against Sam Bankman-Fried that would say that, you know, he maybe was a little bit guilty. And so I'm interested to see what evidence comes out. I'm, I'm a little bit saddened that we have to wait until October for this to happen. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to be at his parents' house over there in California all the way until October, you know, living probably a pretty cushy life. And so I just, I don't, I don't know how this is going to, how this is going to turn out, given all of the evidence that we've already seen come out against him. But Zach, what do you think? Season two, baby. It's shaping up to be <laughs> a good one. We have 10 months of craziness that's going to unfold. What if Sam starts tweeting again? What if he starts trying to make things right with his users? What is going to happen? <laughs> He's probably talking to all sorts of people, reporters, anyone out there still trying to get his story out to the masses. I am captivated. We have 10 months of potential chaos that's going to unfold before this guy gets hauled back into court. And then season three kicks off in earnest with the court proceedings. I don't know, man, this thing, I thought it was going to be boring by now, honestly, but given that we have some interesting intrigue that's developing, who are the secret signers of the bond? What is he going to do for the next 10 months? (laughs) How did he lose all that weight? It's all shaping up to be compelling. Interesting, <laughs> intriguing. That's my take. I'm tossing it to Will. Yeah, this is definitely going to turn into an awesome season two. The one thing I want to add to your list there, Zach, is the fact that there's been some movement of funds out of Alameda Research. There's been some liquidations of Bitcoin into different cryptocurrencies. And that's been pretty fascinating to watch because we'd assume that a lot of these keys would be held by FTX or held by the trustees of FTX, rather or held by law enforcement agencies, whether in the Bahamas or in the US itself. But these funds have been moving around a little bit and people have been kind of noting when Sam Bankman-Fried is available to use the internet and when he's tweeting and when these funds are moving and asking some questions. And then yesterday in court, we saw that indeed the prosecutors asked to make sure that Sam Bankman-Fried did not have the availability to move any sort of funds. He denied it on Twitter that he has moved any funds at all since he's been arrested and since he has been released on bail. But it's still confusing that these funds are moving around and that the prosecutor would double down on the fact that he should not be able to move funds. So we have that as additional intrigue. From a top level, I would say that it's unlikely he has the ability to move anything unless he memorized some seed phrases and people didn't move their keys around. But it does add like another level of mystery to this whole story. Wendy, I want to throw the story back up to you though. I was just actually researching the whole Bitfinex hack. You guys remember that really adorable couple, the rappers or the, the lady in the bathtub? I was Razzle just researching Hunt. to see... Razzle yeah, that, was a, that was a banger, <laughs> right? Say it at once. So yeah. good. <laughs> that was a banger. I was actually just researching to see what the, what the conditions of the bail is. Because if I remember correctly, again, this is not confirmed because the article is really long. But I was just looking to see if the conditions of their bail were different because I believe they weren't allowed to have internet access, but Sam 
is allowed to have internet access. And that's a little bit problematic because all of the fraud and the, all of the things that he allegedly committed were done on the internet. And as you all know, it's very easy to say, oh, I was in a boating accident or I don't have access to this wallet anymore, et cetera. It's very hard to prove. So. Yeah, I'll jump in on that because I I would love for the Twitter spaces to end. Like that's my personal opinion. Like I would love (laughs) for Sam Bigman free to get off the Twitter spaces. They're just horrific. And I do think that there could be some intrigue involved with all this, right? Do you remember Sushi Swap and the mysterious chef? uh, Chef Wow, I'm blanking his name right now. Chef Nami, there he goes. Zach's here for the assist. Chef Nami was possibly Sam Bankman Freed, or people have alleged that might be him. What if he makes a return over this period because SBF has internet access? I agree with you, Wendy. I think we need to yank his internet keys. Zach, back up to you. Yeah, it kind of speaks to like the whole degree of like anonymity in crypto, right? Or pseudonymity, at least, where people can operate in Web3 without being attached to their real identities. What if this becomes the subplot of season two where SBF starts assuming all these other identities, right? This could be something <laughs> as long as the internet traffic is not monitored too stringently. Maybe he'll be out here like he could like, you know, just spin up new characters. Remember, remember, <laughs> Do Kwan was once Rick Sanchez trying to start basis cash way back when, and that was only unearthed by some hardcore reporting some years later. So there could be some schemes afoot. Who knows? Let's speculate some more. Jen, what do you schemes got? Schemes afoot. Sorry, I just, just want to know why <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed's lawyers, his parents who are lawyers, have not told him to stop this. And is he not listening to them? Like, I would want to, I just want to be a fly on the wall to the conversations that are happening behind the scenes. Why is this behavior being allowed? I want to know. We may never know. Thursday's top story. Uh, Let's go to Silvergate, which had shares price drop 40% after announced layoffs and a write-off on its acquisition of DM's technology stack, which occurred earlier this year. This falls, of course, after FTX exploded, which Silvergate was definitely involved with in a variety of ways. And we see that a lot of people have left Silvergate, assets leaving the crypto bank after FTX and its involvement with FTX was exposed. This is pretty big news because Silvergate is one of the only firms with a banking charter and involvement with crypto. A lot of times there's a segregation between these two different parts of the financial stack because a lot of regulators do not like crypto and banks being involved together. Silvergate is sort of a unicorn out there. And that's why it's so important to the greater crypto economy. Seeing shares sell 40% is definitely a uh, frustration for a lot of people in crypto right now. And of course, more layoff news is not great news. Jen, I want to throw this one over to you. This is more troubling stories to begin the year on. January is already kicking pretty hard. Well, first of all, I just want to say RIP DM. I thought that Silvergate was going to you know, bring us the remnants of, of DM, like take the ashes and give us something. But I think that, you know, we're just never going to see anything from DM come to life. And that is a sad, sad ending for that project. Earlier in the week, the Wall Street Journal reported that federal regulators warned banks that holding crypto is inconsistent with safe ba- banking practices. And I think that, you know, the fact that we had this unicorn bank, the fact that they're seeing so many struggles, they're really like, facing the brunt of the bear market and the FTX fallout isn't going to be good for regulation. Some of the quotes that kind of stood out for me from that story is this one. It is important that risks related to the crypto asset sector that cannot be mitigated or controlled do not migrate to the banking system. So unfortunately, I just think that this whole FTX thing has taken this industry so many steps backwards. We solved so many problems during the last 
bull market. We've taken a lot of steps backwards. I think it's going to be a real fight with regulators when it comes to crypto in the traditional banking system. And this doesn't make it any easier. Wendy? So I'm sad to see this kind of happen, but at the same time, they were able to withstand what was it, $8 billion in withdrawals, which is a massive, massive stress test. Like the fact that they were able to do that and still remain solvent thus far, to me, that's kind of a good sign. But again, not financial advice, not telling you to run over there and deposit your money. But I also want to credit David Silver, who is an outstanding attorney. He was talking about on Twitter, he was saying, I want, if something does happen with Silvergate and they do go under, will FDIC come in to kind of save the day? Because I do believe that they are um, insured under FDIC. And if that does happen, will they come in? Will they pick up the slack? Uh, will they let them fail? And it would kind of be very interesting. I hope they don't fail. But if they do fail, they have to go the FDIC route and see if FDI, how FDIC actually works. Because again, it's still insurance. You're not guaranteed to get your money. And I believe it's only up to $250,000 per person. Zach? Yeah, I think the Silvergate story is in part the FTX story, right? They've been ensnared in this whole downfall. Something like $1 billion worth of deposits were linked to FTX and SBF's web of companies over at Silvergate. So there's been a lot of speculation and outright fear that Silvergate was somehow involved and would suffer immensely from the collapse of FTX and Alameda Research. So I think that's definitely something worth pointing out here. Also, just on the job front, I want to shout out uh, Coindesk for compiling some research about the number of jobs cut uh, since April. <laughs> And you're looking at crypto jobs, uh, the loss of 27,000 crypto jobs as of January 5th, according to media reports and press releases. That's a significant chunk of people working in this industry who've been laid off, downsides since April, which is only what, seven, eight months ago, something like, something like that. So the fact that this is uh, accelerating that number's upward climb speaks to the general environment that we're facing where crypto grew quite large in this last cycle. And it's also drawing down quite significantly here now in the winter, especially on the headcount side of things. So, you know, you mentioned these 200 jobs added to that pile of something like 27,000 by Coindesk's estimates in terms of the jobs lost as the prices tumble. Yeah, lots to talk about here, obviously. Will, I'm going to toss it back to you. Yeah, final thoughts for me, two parts. One, the $8 billion withdrawals that Wendy just mentioned, that's a lot of withdrawals on any platform, let alone a crypto platform. Uh, crypto's pretty small. $8 billion is actually a pretty sizable amount of the total crypto market cap of all coins right now. So for them to be able to handle with th those withdrawals is important. A caveat with that, of course, or the nuance there is that he, they had to sell a lot of these assets at a discount to cover those withdrawals, which does bring into question a lot of the backing that Silvergate has been using for its assets, right? If they're having to sell assets at a discount, that means those assets probably are not very liquid at the moment. If you look at other coins out there, notably stable coins, they often put those stable coins and things that are highly liquid uh, like treasury securities and things of those nature. Why? Because if there is a sell-off, you're able to sell out at par with whatever asset you have on your books uh, in, into the market itself. Silvergate seemingly wasn't able to do that in some instances here. We need a little bit more information to really say that clearly, but they did say they had to sell some assets at a discount. Which leads to my second point, which is that regulators are looking at this, they're looking at Silvergate, they're looking at crypto banks, and they're, you know, this is not a great headline for them to read, to see that Shares have dropped 40%. They had to sell off a lot of assets at discount. That $8 billion worth of withdrawals was processed. That $8 billion number is probably a good thing for regulators to look at and be like, hey, they were able to process these withdrawals. But if you look at, at it in aggregate, you look at the FTX exposure, you look at the assets selling at a discount, you look at the share price. Regulators, I think they're going to look at this and be like, maybe there should be some more guidance or separation between cryptos and banks themselves. 
Friday's top story. First story. What's going on with Wobie? There is all sorts of Wobie drama going on. We got confirmed layoffs, significant layoffs, about 20%. We have all sorts of outflows, just like there's tons of money going off Wobie right now. Justin Sun is involved. There's all sorts of drama. Let's talk about it. Will, is Wobie the next shoe to drop? It kind of seems like it at the moment. Expect mischief and intrigue where Justin Sun is involved. That is the storyline here, as it always should be. When he purchased Wobi, a lot of people thought he was going to make some changes. He made a lot of changes to Poloniex, another exchange he purchased quite a while back. Exchange has actually basically kind of fallen off the radar. Not a lot of people talk about it these days, though it was very important back in 2017, 2018. Huobi hopefully is not a rerun of what happened to Poloniex. Uh, right now, we are seeing a lot of outflows out of Huobi, about $100 million, according to data from Nansen, which is a blockchain observer. This follows, of course, after what happened with FTX, where a lot of funds left FTX as people got spooked about it. This also happened with Binance. A lot of funds left Binance after people got spooked about it. Those two stories ended in different ways, right? FTX ended up being in Chapter 11. They ended up being insolvent. Binance seems to be fine by all accounts, even though a lot of money left the exchange. Now for Wobi, this is actually a lot smaller, only $100 million compared to the billions that we saw both leave FTX and Binance. So a little bit smaller. I think there's less cause for confusion or concern here. I think the bigger news and why people are leaving the exchange is because Justin Sun is flexing his muscle after taking over Huobi and he's making some changes. Notably, they have laid off about 20% of their staff, like you said, Zach, and they're also forcing some changes within the structure of the company, moving people out of their China headquarters to Singapore, forcing employees to take payment in crypto itself. I think a lot of people look at these changes and they say, maybe we're not going to get the best price execution. I'm going to move to a different exchange for the meantime. I don't think there's anything really wrong with Huobi at this point. But we'll see. You never know. Jen, throw it over to you. Yeah, you mentioned that $100 million, $60 million left the exchange in the last day. So I think that this just, you know, is another sticking point that the industry is generally spooked. And maybe if you're spooked, don't keep your funds on a centralized exchange for now. I want to touch on those layoffs, Will, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about the layoffs that have been happening in the industry and the way that they're being handled. And as I read through some of these points, I was just kind of shocked to be reading them. So full-time employees are going to become new staff members and they're going to enter into a three-month probation. So they're not going to have the same benefits that they had as a full-time staff. They're going to get revoked layoff compensation and year-end bonus. And so that tells a little bit of an eerie story for me. I can only imagine that Huobi employees are feeling like, okay, I'm going into this three-month probationary period. And this story is long from over. I think that we're probably going to see some cuts after the next three months. I don't imagine why they would do this otherwise. And so I can't imagine that the feeling is good at Huobi. And I think just like the other companies that we've talked about that have kind of mishandled their layoffs, we're going to see some employees come out and start talking to the media and exposing some things on Twitter. Zach? Yeah, I mean, the centralized exchange industry is really taking a beating these last few months. You know, you look at Kraken, which had major, major layoffs. And obviously, Wobi here is not insulated from declining trade volumes and also sort of just a, a panic removal from exchanges writ large, right? I think the move to self-custody has been well chronicled. You know, you see Ledger selling, uh, you know, like, uh, like record-setting uh, storage devices as people look to move their funds off of exchanges and into their own possession. You know, we also saw that, you know, that comes with its own set of risks. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's any additional backlash from this in terms of people 
probably uh, potentially losing some of their funds, stashing it under the mattress, as it were, in the cold storage device rather than having it on exchange. But yeah, Wobi, I think, has obviously been a big player in the Asian market for a long time. Certainly has a presence in China, and it's going to be interesting to see if they bounce back and serve that market. The East Asia market has been a bit, I guess, like, yeah, I mean, potentially underserved, actually, really, even though there's a lot of trading activity over there still within the crypto world. So we'll be taking a big hit here. It would potentially be pretty impactful for that particular region within the crypto world. So that, uh, that's definitely something to watch here. And obviously, we're seeing sort of spillover into other Justin Sun related things, right? Like whether it makes sense or not. You know, the Tron price is down on this news, allegedly. USDD, which is a Tron stablecoin, that's also kind of slipping off its peg a bit. So often as we see in this sector, it's largely defined by figureheads. Justin Sun is one of those figureheads. And some of the news that's relating to Wobi seems to be spilling over into the other parts of his crypto empire. Jen, I think I saw your hand. I'm going to toss it your way. Yeah, I have a question. I saw that employees are now going to have to take their salaries in a stablecoin. Do we know what stablecoin that is? I don't. Oh, I, I had it up on my, my screen head. a second ago. You're looking at it? I, I think it's USDC, USDD pairing. So it's like a, a stablecoin pairing more or less that would obviously benefit Justin Sun in this case. So great question there. I, I, the one thing I do want to bring up though is what Zach was talking about earlier. Let's just riff on it for another second before we move to the next story. And that is how important these exchanges are in the greater landscape, especially in East Asia, where there is a significant amount of trade volume. So I think a lot of people think of the US, think of Western Europe, they think about the exchange volumes there, think that's where the action is happening because of New York and London, those being two big financial hubs. But for crypto, a lot of this historically has actually been playing out in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Tokyo, in different places in East Asia. That's where a lot of the trading happens. And so for Huobi to be going under or not going under, excuse me, for Huobi to be downsizing or not being as big of a player, that does matter for the market over there. That does matter for people who have less options. Also interesting in the story that Justin Sun is deciding to move the headquarters out of China. He's moving it to Singapore. He's moving people. He's relocating the entire team along with laying off a lot of team members. And oh, that's more crypto leaving China, which I think a lot of people have sort of written off and said, all of crypto has left China at this point, but that's not really the case. There are some businesses still operating there if you can get the licenses. So that this is another step there, right? And Justin Soon does not necessarily have the greatest track record with the Chinese communist government. So it makes sense for him to want to move his business out of their jurisdiction into something else where he can control it a little bit more. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.